In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. Everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger, because there was no guest room available for them. That night, there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified, but the angel reassured them, Don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth and lying in a manger. Suddenly, the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. It's actually a pretty simple story. Some years we try to do something with it, and this year we thought, you know, what if it just didn't have any gimmicks? What if we just allowed the Holy Word of God to speak directly into our hearts and souls? In the book of Matthew, the Christmas story starts off very simply. It says, this is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. You know, for Joseph and Mary, the, the road to the manger was not a smooth one. In fact, I would characterize it with a very different word. I would actually call it chaotic. I mean, just imagine if you're them for just a couple of moments. One day you're in love and your relationship is heading towards marriage, and then angels start showing up. The angels keep saying the same thing. Don't be afraid. Which is a logical deducing person, I would actually interpret that to mean something very scary is coming and you're trying to prepare my heart and my life for it. Don't be afraid. The angel says that to Mary. Don't be afraid about what I'm going to tell you, but I, I, I have two things that I really need to share with you. Number one, God's really proud of you, Mary. And as well, There's something else. He's going to overshadow you and a miracle is going to happen and you're going to give birth to the Son of God. This little baby that you're going to carry is going to be yours, but not yours. Because his father is going to be in heaven. It sounds amazing, doesn't it? Because with that announcement, Mary started doing without. It happens to Joseph the same way. 
The Bible says Joseph was a righteous man. The biblical word is tzaddik, which means he had a right heart, the right standards, the right relationship with God. He'd kept himself pure. He had prepared all of his life to get married, and he was going to get married the right way. And then his world gets flipped upside down, and Mary says that she's pregnant. I mean, let's face it, okay? There's only one proper conclusion that you can come to when your girlfriend shows up and says that she's pregnant. He feels that Mary's betrayed him. And Joseph wants out. I mean, wouldn't you want out? I mean, her explanation was absolutely nuts. It defied human physiology. This was her best shot at an excuse. It's God's fault. Joseph's world was shattered. So the Bible says he chooses to separate his life from hers, but he does it quietly and respectfully because that's the kind of man that Joseph was. And then an angel shows up to him, turns his world upside down, and says this. Here it comes again. Don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She's going to give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sin. It sounds amazing, doesn't it? And with that announcement, Joseph started doing without I mean, what kind of things did they do without that first Christmas? Well, together they did without their reputation. I mean, when you start telling people about immaculate conceptions and conversations with angels, people conclude one thing. You are cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. I mean, that's the bottom line. Joseph and Mary had always been the good kids until this happened. But suddenly, all of a sudden, their reputations are soiled and stained. And they spend the rest of their lives listening to people whisper behind their back. Those used to be the good kids. Those were the kids who did the right thing. But I guess, well, where were their parents anyway? Together they did without their dream wedding. In Jewish culture, the families of Joseph and Mary would never have blessed this broken union The families would have been disgraced. And now Joseph and Mary found themselves in an unthinkable place. They actually found themselves on their own. They had to learn to do without family support in the midst of so much crisis, something that most of us would have to lean on. They had to do without their dream wedding and they had to do without convenience. I mean, in the very last month of her pregnancy. So ladies, imagine that. Guys, imagine more, okay? You're nine months pregnant, and suddenly the government decides to make everybody head to their hometown to register. And this couple has to deal with holiday travel. Now, that's chaos, right? Reservations, baggage fees, donkey downgrade fees, overbooked hotels, right? It's just tough. And in the middle of all that chaos... I mean, just think about all of the chaos that they dealt with, the relational chaos of of trying to figure out their own humanity in the middle of this miracle, the spiritual chaos, trying to find answers to their own questions about God and angels and prophecies and, and the whispers of this man known as a Messiah. About the cultural chaos between Israel and Rome. I mean, who was really in charge? Who was actually gonna look after it and make sure that everything was okay? And then there's the governmental chaos. The Bible says that there's an insecure leader who completely freaks out when he hears whispers of a coming Messiah. And so this is his solution. Let's just kill a bunch of kids. That's what he decides to do. It's heartbreaking. He just wants to eradicate even the potential of a Messiah because after all, he needs his job security. 
And then you throw in the ordinary chaos of life. Something that we all experience when life just doesn't go the way you planned it, when something interrupts the flow of the way you wanted it to be, and into the middle of all of that, a baby arrives. I got to be a part of the precious arrival of a baby boy just a couple of weeks ago. His mom and dad had been praying for a miracle, and and I had an opportunity to be an invited guest at the birth of a baby boy by the name of Jonathan. I'd forgotten how much chaos goes into the delivery of a baby. Having been a part of a birth for almost 16 years, I cannot believe my baby girl is going to turn 16 in a couple weeks. Nurses are coming and going. Doctors are flying in and out. There's the emotional ups and downs that are going on. There's the literal pain, the pushing, the exhaustion. I mean, it just kind of makes this, this frantic setting. It's all chaos. And then when the baby arrives, it just gets really, really, really quiet. I was invited into the, into the delivery room just a couple of moments after the baby was born. And And the most amazing thing had happened. All of that chaos that all of us had experienced was suddenly just kind of gone and it was replaced by the strangest thing. Peace. Mom was resting. Daddy was a glorious mess. The medical staff was almost silent and and nobody needed to say it, but everybody was thinking the same thing. Shh baby needs to sleep. People were whispering, people were still, people were at peace, and everybody was just trying to to do everything they could to welcome that little baby to the world, making promises in our hearts that we were going to do our part in making this world a little bit better place for Jonathan. You know, Joseph and Mary experienced that moment too. Just because they're in in the Bible doesn't mean that that Mary was immune to pain or Joseph was immune to to chaos and panic. I mean, for them too, it was chaos, pain, sacrifice, and then the baby came and there was peace. For those of you who are parents, you know that moment because you've experienced, because you start an entirely new season of doing without. As a parent, you learn to do without sleep for years, right? Right? You learn to do without convenience because babies don't come with automatic schedules. You learn to do without your lunch because some of those diapers are just plain nasty, right? I speak truth, okay? You do without for a really long time and for the most part, you love it. You do without because you fall in love with that little one. And you'll do everything you can to love and protect them. Just think about that little phrase, doing without. We've been talking about it here at Christ the King for an entire month. In fact, we made a decision this year that we were going to try and do without some things because that's just what a lot of people in the world are doing these days. One weekend we did without coffee. We took all of the proceeds from that and we sent it to a village in Africa so they can drill a well and have a clean water source for the first time in human history. We made a decision that, that, that we were going to do without. And tonight, some of you brought canned non-perishable goods into the church. and We're going to take that all to our food bank, and we're going to give it all away in Jesus' name. We decided we wanted to do without in order to bless somebody else. You know, when you think about the phrase, though, doing without, at first it seems kind of like a bad thing. But you don't have to look or think too far to see how doing without for a little season in your life can actually reap unbelievable benefits down the road. 
I mean, you see it in nature all of the time, right? Have you ever looked at a tree? Every fall, that tree does without its leaves as it stores up energy for the winter. And then in in spring, it puts on an amazing display of color and life. It does without for a little while, and then God breathes life into it again. You see it in families. Like I mentioned, a baby arrives, mom and dad need to do without sleep for a while just to make sure their little bundle becomes a toddler and then becomes an elementary school child, and then becomes a middle schooler, and then becomes a high schooler, and they get to that wonderful, beautiful place that every parent dreams of when they get ready to go for college, and we get to do without them for a little while. You see it in athletes who do without lots of things to train for the big race or for the big game, but it's all worth it when they rally at the end and they win that championship game. Not that any of us in Washington would actually know what that feels like, right? There we are again. All right. But if they do, we get to experience this wonderful thing called inspiration. At the heart of all of this is a willingness to let go of something good just so you can grab a hold of something better. And there's nowhere you see this more than in the life of Jesus Christ The Bible says this, the Lord Jesus Christ was kind enough to give up all of his riches and become poor so that you and I could become rich. That's a gift. Jesus did without his royal privilege to open the door to us, to the riches of forgiveness and salvation. The Bible says this, one of my favorite phrases, though he was in the form of God, he didn't consider being equal with God something that he could exploit. But he emptied himself by taking the very form of a servant and he became like us. And when he found himself in that likeness, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. This is the beauty of Christmas. He was one with God in heaven. He was God. He created the world that we live in and then he gave up all of that privilege to come and live in that world with us. He took on fragile human bodies flesh, just like this, just like ours. He was born in the humblest place. He lived a simple, humble life. And then he did without the greatest thing that I can even wrap my head around. He did without his own life. He came and died on a cross so that you and I could experience peace. Everything he did, he did on purpose. Let me wrap it as best I can. He did without heaven so that you and I could have an opportunity to go there. He did without his own safety so that you and I could actually be rescued. He suffered unbelievable pain so that you and I could experience healing in our body and soul. He gave up his life so that we could live. That's the gift of Christmas. When you put it that way, maybe doing without isn't so bad after all. The Bible says, but God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. If you need a reason to worship God this Christmas, think about this. He became dirty. He did without his purity so he could take your and my sin on his sinless life so that you and I didn't need to pay a penalty that we can't pay. 
The Bible says this, when you were dead in your sins, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He's taken it all away, nailing it to the cross. That is the good news of Christmas. See, the baby that Joseph and Mary held in their arms that first Christmas night, that baby was no ordinary baby. That baby was fully human and fully God at the same time. He was the Son of God and God the Son. He was the greatest gift of all, and He came here for one reason, to exchange my chaos for His peace. Some of you are here, and you actually feel completely overwhelmed by this thing called Christmas. Some of you are detail-oriented, and you have not been able to turn off that list that just keeps running through your head. In fact, some of you are actually considering going back to the mall after this service. You're nuts. Everyone gets wrapped in the chaos, but but I think guys especially get wrapped in it. Gentlemen, I'm just going to try and help you out here as best I can because I'm a guy, all right? There's something that kind of affects us as as we approach this Christmas season. Dr. Mark Copley from St. George's Medical School in London made this comment about guys and the chaos of Christmas. He said, when men are forced to confront crowded stores, choosing gifts, and standing in checkout lines, their blood pressures and heart rates soar. We see heart and blood pressure rates that rival fighter pilots in full combat and policemen walking into dangerous situations. Men like shopping provided they're buying either a Learjet or a Porsche. But when they're forced to do domestic shopping, they become very stressed out and their mind goes to a place that can only be described as chaos. And all of the men said... Amen. (laughs) Ladies, on behalf of men everywhere, I apologize for the chaos that we create. May God have mercy on our souls. (laughs) The chaos of Christmas is not reserved for retail and malls. The truth of it is some of us fear the chaos of Christmas because of a family situation. We know that that for some of us, we're walking into situations over the next couple of days that are going to feel anything but peaceful. Some of us fear the chaos of being alone, trying to figure out where God fits in the middle of that. Some of us are here and we just fear the reality of the season because we're somewhat offended by the story that we read. We think to ourselves, a baby sent from God, sent to deal with my brokenness and my chaos, and we dismiss it with a one-word dismissal, whatever. I understand that word because I spent a lot of years saying it. The tension of the miracle is what creates chaos for some of us because some of us just can't wrap our brain around the fact that God would send His Son here for us. And we openly question, how can that be true? What kind of a God would do that? Can I answer that question? A very loving one. A very loving one. Some of you are here and you're like, do you people actually believe this stuff? Pregnant virgins? God slipping a kid in the back door of human humanity? Seriously? Can I answer that question for you too? Yes. We believe every single 
word. We believe Jesus came here to save you and me from the chaos of sin so you can exchange your chaos for his peace. That's the beauty of Christmas. If you don't believe that's possible, I'd like to read the words of a man. When we meet him in scripture, he's actually a hired hitman, killing Christians because he thinks it's fun. And years later, he wrote these words. Now may the God of peace who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep. May he equip you with every good thing for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever and ever. Amen. Would you like to do without chaos this Christmas? Would you like to exchange the turmoil in the bottom of your soul that comes from struggling to believe that God could love you so much that he would send his son here? Would you be willing, would you be open to doing without that kind of chaos and turmoil? Would you like to experience forgiveness for the past and hope for the future? Well, the reality is you can, and it happens this way. You simply open your heart and humbly accept the gift of Jesus Christ that brought us hope and joy and peace and love during this Christmas season. God must have loved us a lot to take his one and only child and wrap him in humanity and give him to us as a gift. That night, 2,000 years ago, a baby really did change everything. And my hope and prayer is that you will receive that gift because we don't want anything from you, but we really would like something for you this Christmas. And that would be the peace of God that only comes through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me tonight? Father, we thank you for doing without Jesus, your only son. We thank you for for allowing him to step out of heaven into our reality. We thank you for that gift and the hope that comes with it. Father, I pray that every one of us would choose today your peace over our chaos. Father, I thank you that because of the birth of Jesus, the life of Jesus, the death of Jesus on the cross, and the resurrection of Jesus three days later, I thank you that there's no sin that can't be forgiven, no past that can't be redeemed, no hope that can't be restored. No addiction that can't be broken, no joy that can't be found again. No peace that can't be given. Father God, I thank you for a moment 2,000 years ago when a baby changed everything and hope came to all of humanity. Maybe it would be wise enough to accept this incredible gift from you, the gift of peace. And we give you honor 
and glory and praise on this, the eve of your birthday. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Silent. Night.